Hello and welcome to Insights for Manufacturing. I'm your host, Jeff Beecham, and this is the first in a series of podcasts looking at some of the challenges facing UK manufacturing in 2022. I'm hosting a number of guests in this series from service businesses and support organisations providing subject matter expertise and guidance on a diverse range of topics affecting UK manufacturing. Today, we're going to be looking at international trade, and I have great pleasure in introducing my special guest, Terry Schooler, CBE and Chair of the Institute of Export and International Trade. Welcome, Terry. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? Jeff, good morning. It's a pleasure to join you. Clearly a, a massive subject and I, I'm looking forward to our discussion. Absolutely. Very, uh, very topical at the moment. Uh, and I've been looking forward to this podcast for some time. Um, very pleased to invite you on the show. Um, not only are you a subject matter expert in our, in our topic today on export and international trade, but you've, you've got a formidable background in, in industry and manufacturing in particular. You know, you've spent uh, you know, a, a long time in a number of senior leadership positions uh, for the benefit of our listeners, you know, with, with businesses like BAE Systems, Ferranti Technologies, and also the EEF uh, before it became Make UK. So for the benefit of our audience, Terry, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and what your role is within the Institute of Export and International Trade? Jeff, many thanks indeed. And once again, thank you for, for having me on this morning. I'm always slightly nervous of this term subject matter expert. I think it's a, <laughs> it's a dreadful term, but it's one, it's one that we all use. Uh, Jeff, yes, I've, yeah. uh, I'm an industrialist. Uh, I would like to think I've been at the coal faces as a manufacturing, engineering, industrial managing director, uh, as you say, with some uh, some leading businesses. And then, of course, uh, eight years at the Engineering Employers Federation, advising, guiding, engaging with some 20,000 businesses on a whole raft of challenges. And of course, never mind the challenges. Let's talk about the opportunities as well uh, yeah. for those businesses. And for the last three and a half, four years, chairman of the Institute of Export and International Trade. And of course, that has come at a very interesting time in terms of Brexit, what happens post-Brexit. And of course, no doubt, as we'll come to in a couple of moments, how we make the best of the post-Brexit environment uh, on the back of what is an absolutely global market. And we in Britain seeking to be global UK to, to take advantage mutually, I hasten to add, uh, with partners around the globe. Thanks for that overview, Terry. There's a lot of, uh, lot of talk about the changes within the EU following Brexit. Um, you know, many companies within manufacturing have been exporting and importing for, for years, uh, a lot of them successfully. Some have had a, you know, a number of challenges, but all the new sort of uh, regulations that have come in have, have thrown up you know, a, a whole host of um, challenges, uncertainty. And I guess what, what I wanted to find out as well today was, you know, businesses that haven't exported previously um, may be really put off by the, uh, you know, the, the ever more complicated uh, process of, of dealing with an international uh, supply chain or customer base. So with the new customs controls and checks for goods coming into the UK from, from the EU now in place as of the 1st of January. What are the biggest risks to, to UK businesses currently, Terry? Jeff, thank you for that. And it, it, you're right, it, it is an absolutely huge issue. Uh, 
But <clears throat> cutting to the chase, what we are faced with post-Brexit is circa 250 to 300 million customs checks and transactions that of course weren't in place uh, before, before we left the EU. And I suppose that it's, you use the word uncertainty or you have used the word uncertainty, and that's a, a very good way of, of describing this. Uh, I suppose that it's most fundamental this uncertainty is is costing money in terms yep. of the delay and the delays that are required to to bring goods in and of course to uh, more importantly to, to send goods out because it's only goods coming in that have been affected as you know from the first of january of this year so there are cost implications here there are there are delays there's and i think that there's also a slight fear that people will be less less focused on exporting perhaps mm. even importing from the EU. Now that is a concern, a, a weariness, a frustration, clearly is, is important and business managers may suffer from that. But I also have to say that there's a potential opportunity here as well in that British manufacturers, exporters, and we're not just talking about manufacturing, that the wider industrial sector, including the important services sector, may look to other parts of the world uh, and expand their exports and activity there. And let, of course, be careful, 90% of economic growth over the next five to 10 years will come from the rest of the world and not yep. the EU. But please, let me say, I value our European partners. I want trade with the EU, not only to be maintained, uh, but, but to grow, but yep. nonetheless, measurable frustrations there, and we do have to overcome them. Absolutely. It's quite a minefield. And, uh, you know, there's been a almost like a feeding frenzy in the, in the media for some time over over Brexit and, and the implications. So, you know, I, I've been I've been sat here for, for some months, you know, as, a, as an executive recruiter, um, thinking about the, you know, the, the challenges for leadership within, you know, UK businesses um, who, you know, have got a, an ongoing challenge on, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, running a business, making sure it's profitable, looking after the people. And then, wow, we've been hit with uh, with Brexit, shortly followed by COVID. And, you know, the, uh, the effects of Brexit still haven't been, you know, fully played out yet. So um, I think... No, you're, Jeff, forgive me. Uh, you're absolutely right. But what we are not seeing, we are not seeing the 20 miles of lorries parked on the M, whatever motorway it is, I think it's the M2, uh, down to Dover or Folkestone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're not seeing, we're not seeing the, the so-called worst of, of that which was meant to frighten us going forward. Now, I don't mean that politically. And I think the other thing that is as yet very early days, but is relatively pleasing, of course, is we have not January. Uh, and I think my interpretation of that is that we're seeing government and the border force customs officials uh, utilising a light touch approach to yes. goods coming in, uh, as opposed to perhaps one could argue perhaps some of our European partners, vis-a-vis our trade into Northern Ireland and the early days of crossing the channel, mm. perhaps we're seeing elements of bureaucracy that were being overinterpreted uh, yes. as per as per the trade and, and cooperation agreement. But it is early days vis-a-vis -vis us um, imposing regulations on goods coming in. So yeah, but fingers crossed, this will not be as bad as a number of commentators fear. 
I'm sure that's the case. And uh, yes, yeah, so I'm a I'm a strong advocate of this all getting sorted out sooner rather than later, and, and businesses being able to operate, you know, effectively and with confidence, really. So, Indeed. Sorry, what are your members asking you for support with the most, Terry? It, it varies, of course, on the size of the member company and where they operate and how they operate. But I think if I if I look at the SME sector, the smaller business sector, uh, over recent months, obviously, and in particular, perhaps on the first of January, the, many of the many of the challenges they face are, of course, tactical. They're down in the they are down at the coal face, managing this on a day-to-day basis. How do they fill in the forms? How do they manage VAT? How do they get freight into the country, out of the country? And then, of course, that is, if I look at the hundred or so telephone calls we've had into the, uh, the helpline since the 1st of January, then probably about 50% of those calls have been around those issues of VAT, form yeah. filling, and just how, how to manage the day-to-day process. Uh, I think also we're seeing we're seeing a recognition of okay we may have challenges with the EU and how can we the Institute of Export and International Trade then help them understand what other markets are out there what yes. other markets should we target and how should we go about doing them what is that first step on on that journey to exporting. If, if they haven't exported at all, or yeah. they are looking to widen their market base from that is from, from that of the EU, so uh, a number of challenges. But let please let us let us be positive here. We're looking at economic growth measurably yeah. across the economy for this year, including the manufacturing sector of some four four point five percent. But there is clearly challenges and work to be done. Absolutely. Well, let's look at it as a, a glass half full. Um, lots, of, <laughs> lots of challenges, but it, it, it's all doable. So we've had Brexit. Um, it's been said the UK has, has got a, a once in a generation chance to shape the way the UK trades with the rest of the world. We've already had some new uh, trade deals. There are other you know, future deals um, in the making, and that will inevitably provide fantastic opportunities for UK businesses. Um, how can the Institute of Export and International Trade directly help and support UK manufacturing SMEs the, the, the best? Where, where is the help most needed, you think, moving forward, Terry? Well, let us perhaps look at the environment for, for a moment. And what we've got here uh, has been is the, the rollover of some 67 or 68 formerly EU uh, trade agreements uh, rolled over, of course, uh, from a UK point of view. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing now going forward is that the last two, three, four of those agreements have not simply been rollover agreements. But when we look at the agreement with Japan, uh, the, the putative still to be formalised agreements, fully formalised agreements with Australia and New Zealand, yeah. we're seeing much more targeted agreements that the sectors that are important to our economy here. Also provision, of course, for for UK services, which make up 80% of our economy. So yeah. how, can the, how can the Institute help? Well, it, there's a, an advisory role here, there's a guiding role. Uh, it's, it's using our offices, our network of 100 plus advisors around the country in terms of where can they export, where should they export, what, what, are, their, what are their target markets? And if those target markets are, for example, an English speaking market like New Zealand, 
then the entry point, the understanding of the of the, the systems, the customs systems, legal systems may be very similar to our own. Sure. Equally, if they are some of the growing markets like Vietnam and Cambodia, then the added value we can bring in terms of that which may be very different culturally, legally, commercially to gaining access to those markets will require greater involvement from us mm -hmm. in terms of supporting our, our member companies. So, so it's a wide range of activity. And as you know from your own experience, and many of your listeners will know from their own experience, the best way to do it is not sitting in an office in London, but operating and engaging with member companies and stakeholders around the country yeah. and from and from Cornwall to the north of Scotland to Northern Ireland, we have got advisors doing just that, probably on the phone as we speak. Well, that's fantastic to hear. And, and just on that, have you? Is this something that you've have you grown your footprint within the institute recently because of all the changes, or have you had this, um, you know, sort of structure in in place for for some time? It's a good question, and you will not be surprised to learn that just. What perhaps I inherited, if that's the right term, three, three four years ago, was yeah. a worthy organisation doing perhaps what it had done for, for many years. Then suddenly we had to adapt and we've adapted very well, in yeah. my view. And that's the royal we, because I mean our, our <clears throat> director general and his team of 130 staff. And of course, we've had to come very much to the fore uh, and, yes. and we have done and uh, in terms of helping government, just if helping guide companies, managing directors and staff, brokers, freight forwarders, and how to deal with the Northern Ireland Protocol, which, yeah. by the way, we may do in a moment, very specific issue here. But my goodness, we really have had to step up to the mark, broaden our range of support services, broaden our range of, of networks, regionally in particular, to engage with members. And probably over the last uh, year, 18 months, we have doubled our membership to from about 3,000 to just over 7,000 individual member companies. Wow. So my goodness, in a challenge, and, and I and the executive team I support have very much leapt at that challenge. Uh, yeah. And hopefully only our members can give us the feedback, but the feedback that we are getting, I'm pleased to report is very positive. Brilliant. That's really good to hear. And, and just on the, uh, the, the Northern Ireland Ireland um, topic, you know, again, this is something that's been uh, discussed and debated and been all across the media, you know, pretty much since, you know, the referendum. Um, and I was reading some figures that the, uh, the trade between Ireland and, and Northern Ireland was on the increase uh, during during last year. Um, <coughs> how how do you see that whole situation panning out with the with the UK um, trade into into Ireland? I mean, it, it, there's still work to be done there. Um, where where do you sort of stand on that on that topic and on the whole? You know, without getting too political on it. Um, what, what, what do you think which would be the, the, the best outcome and, and what's the way forward? Trying to avoid being political. I would like to think, <laughs> however, that the, the Northern Ireland Protocol is a work in progress. Yeah. And by that, I mean, I, I think I and the Institute and the members I said would like to see some modification and easement of some of the terms around it. 
particularly what we call sanitary and phytosanitary products, uh, food, food yep. and food-based products, uh, causing, as you probably have read in the press, some considerable frustration and difficulty here. I, I must lead a sad life because I have read the Northern Ireland Protocol. Now, it is only about 56 pages, but okay. it calls up about another, about 200 and 280, I think, from memory, EU regulations and legislation, elements of legislation. So effectively, uh, we have got a border down the Irish Sea, as, as you're aware. Yeah. Uh, so it is work in progress. I do think, and you've asked the question, and hopefully I've not spent as many years in business as I have, as I have to, to duck a question. This, from many, many of our member companies, is not working. Yeah. And, and I really hope that we can look to amend it in some way. And the other comment I would make is, have the EU been overzealous in the interpretation of, of the checks mm. on, on the Northern Ireland border? There is some evidence that that is the case. I know that work is un being undertaken by government to relax some of those some of those checks and, yep. and maybe the work that we're doing with government and other organisations on digitalisation to make sure there is no hard stop and hard check in the border that yep. will help. And also, of course, when we look at many companies with with track records of compliance of high level of integrity and what we call HMRC customs requirements yep. compliance. Must they have every good check to the border? I sincerely hope not. It would be wrong of me not to flag up there are significant frustrations here. So Absolutely. let us hope they can be. Yeah, and thanks for thanks for uh, you know giving your 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 opinion on that. It's it's a really it's a hot topic, isn't it? You know, and it is. Uh, I'm sure it's something that's debated, uh, you know, all over Ireland, Northern Ireland, the UK. Um, I can hear the conversations now in the in the pubs and living rooms and, and boardrooms. And uh, we'll, we'll just have to see how that all, all pans out really. But thank you for your explanation, uh, Terry. Um, for particularly for any UK manufacturing SMEs looking to export for the first time, um, I guess, yeah, I've never been involved in, in export. And I, and I guess, you know, when you're, when you're doing anything new, there's a, a huge amount of, of trepidation, doubt, um, you take on advice, you take on hearsay, you look at the media, um, you try, you, you make assumptions about, well, how, how might we do this and how might, might it work out? For a business that hasn't exported before, what are the first steps? I think that for a business that's not exported before, I think that business needs to be clear on what it is it is looking to export and yeah. have some idea of where it wishes to export to. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be some preparatory work here and some form of tactic, some form of strategy in the mind of the business owner. Now, that said, at that point where he wishes to further expand his knowledge and take that first step, dip the toe into the water. Well, yeah. please come and talk to us. Uh, we can then guide you to perhaps some of your fellow fellow companies, maybe where in the area in which you operate and you can talk to someone who's done exactly this before and been through the same, the same learning process. Uh, we can point that individual, that business manager, male or female, small or, or medium size, 
which is the area we're talking about at the moment, yeah. in terms of maybe some trade mission, some form of uh, exhibition, just to dip the toe in the water uh, mm. and invite them to and facilitate meetings with, uh, with embassies and, and or uh, trade councils uh, in the area, in the target area that they're interested in. So yes, it's a matter of just learning and there are a lot of, there are a lot of avenues in which to do that. And I have to say also, the Department of International Trade has a strong regional network. We know them yeah. closely, we work with them, and they can be also very, very helpful. So I think peer, peer advice, uh, trade missions, just talking to those that have done it before, looking at the help lines and help regimes that are there, all adds up to a picture which I hope would encourage that business leader to get on that plane for the first time and at least invest a modest amount of money in investigating yeah. the target market. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess most businesses would would have a, a you know a reasonable understanding of you know where they might sell their products, which countries. Um, they would probably do their own, you know, sort of market analysis of, of where the where the hotspots are of, of opportunity. But it's the it's the it's the doing the do, isn't it? When you haven't been through that export process before, it, it's all about gaining that knowledge. And I guess you know, uh, doing your your due diligence. Um, do you think the again without without wanting to go down the political route, but do, do you think UK government has provided clear enough information and support? around all of the, the, the changes around Brexit and the documentation. And uh, I've been on the UK Gov site a few times and, you know, because I don't do this this work day in, day out, uh, you know, it, it's quite bewildering to the likes of me. But for a for a business, um, you know, that's that's maybe dealt with international companies from a supply point of view already, which most which most would, um, the thought of exporting could be quite daunting. Is, is there enough information and clear information coming out from from UK Gov on that. As, as a taxpayer, I think every every taxpayer would obviously expects more from his tax paying buck mm. and and therefore expects more from government. But it's very important we take a balanced view here. And yeah. when I look at the, the regional network, DIT's regional network, when I the export strategy that came out just a couple of months ago. When I look at the, the export credit department or the export credit facilities, insurance and credit facilities yep. that come through UK Export Finance, by the way, a, an award-winning body that has measurably increased its, its potential funding through the banking system to exporters to what about now, about 40 billion, I think, at yep. record level of financial support for business. I do have to say that as a nation, there is a lot of government support for industry. There's a lot of government support uh, for exporting. And yes, I think while we could always expect more from our government, in all honesty, I, I don't think I can fault uh, that, which is, that which is out there. I think it does take me back, however, to perhaps, to perhaps the Northern Ireland situation where yeah. probably... Uh, when you run this through your, your listeners, when it is published, they will say we're having enormous difficulty, of course, with, with that part of the, the process here, which is the Northern Ireland Protocol. But yeah. putting that to one side for a moment, there's a lot of government support. And maybe my comment also to government, however, is that perhaps that support is not well known. Perhaps it is not promoted or advertised enough 
And that was one of the points that we picked up in a, a survey I recall doing some time ago. Yeah. So government, thank you, but perhaps more could be done and also promote better that which you are offering British companies. That's a really fair comment, Terry. Thanks very much for, uh, for sharing your, uh, your views on that. So looking forward to, to the rest of 2022, what, what's your outlook for, for the UK engineering and, and manufacturing sector in, in particular, medium and smaller enterprises? I am cautiously optimistic. I, 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 yep. look at what, I look at our firstly our overarching economic growth for this year, which although just uh, marginally eased down, in fact, the last couple of days by the Bank of England, uh, I think is still, is still what, about 43 to 4.5%, the, yep. the best, the best of the G7. So our economy, uh, barring any further destructive and potentially tragic COVID variant, I think is looking yep. very strong. Uh, yep. The manufacturing sector is, is in good heart. It is rebounding well with a similar with similar growth prospects. I'm also pleased to report that we're seeing increased levels of investment, whether that be capital, innovation, technology, and or whatever, into yeah. the manufacturing sector. Uh, I think we're still seeing some significant issues with supply chains, and as ever, it will be yeah. the smaller businesses that you have specifically alluded to that will suffer from any supply chain issues perhaps more than larger companies which can afford to seek dual source elsewhere. Uh, yeah. But I think that, as I say, we're seeing growth, we're seeing investment, we have a global market out there, and I am cautiously optimistic that our economy, within that economy, the industrial sector, and something that is dear to our hearts, SMEs and medium-sized businesses will benefit strongly from a post-Brexit post-Brexit, post-COVID recovery. Absolutely. I, I think uh, it's going to be exciting times. Yeah, still a few headwinds uh, facing everybody, but uh, you know, UK manufacturing in particular has been so resilient over the years and uh, has got through every challenge that, that's come to hit it uh, over decades. So I'm sure things will, will come good. Did you want to make another point, Terry, or shall I go on to the next? Yes, I was just uh, in terms just of the the health of the sector. I look at our I look at our universities. I I look at government support to to technology innovation, which is which is pretty measurable. I look at the top universities we've got and and just their ambition. I look at more and more, excuse me, evidentially, businesses of all sizes now working more and more with universities in the research uh, yeah. department and. Uh, I look at the capital investment coming in, what we call foreign, foreign direct investment coming into the country. There's much to be done here, but I, I look forward with optimism and my, my messaging, of course, to, to UK business leaders is, is grasp that, move forward, yeah. uh, be prepared on occasions uh, to take some form of calculated risk. And that's an important term, calculated Absolutely. risk in terms of growing your business and growing market share. Super. And, and finally, what, what about the Institute of, of Export and International Trade? What, what, what are the plans for the future? I, I understand you've, opened, you've recently opened a new office in, in Nairobi, uh, Kenya. What, what's next? Indeed. And we, we very much are growing and we're growing strongly, partly in line, of course, with, with supporting government and its initiatives uh, yeah. in, here in the UK uh, and, of course, around the world. And I'm delighted to, re to report that international trade 
stating the obvious is, is a global activity. It helps to reduce tension. It helps to, one of, the, one of the most important statistics that I have ever read about mutually beneficial international trade is that it's taken about 2 billion people out of poverty over the last 20 years. So we are currently working uh, with 11 sub-Saharan uh, African countries in terms of helping their uh, governments and their officials understand yeah. the, the machinations, if that's the right term, of international trade. We've just opened up, as you so rightly say, uh, an office in, in Kenya. We're looking at op opening up an office in West Africa now, in Ghana. And, and we look at these parts of the world, sub-Saharan Africa, uh, South America, where there is huge opportunity for yeah. mutually beneficial trade. And by that, I mean for absolute clarity, not those countries just being a market for our goods, but helping them develop so they move away from more staple products to, to developed, developed markets in their own right and industrial hubs. And we've seen that, of course, in parts of the, parts of the Southeast Asia, as you're aware. So it's a very exciting time. Wonderful. It's really good to see that sort of collaboration for a, for a better world in, in general. Absolutely brilliant. Well, Terry, it's been a pleasure to speak to you today. Um, what's the best way for businesses to, to, to contact uh, the Institute of Export and International uh, Trade if they've got any, any questions following our, uh, our discussion well, today? We, <laughs> we welcome people contacting us. Uh, please, our website is there for all to see. There are contact numbers and contact email addresses on that and please i urge them to do so and would welcome welcome it if they did fantastic so that wraps up today's episode i hope you've enjoyed our discussion thank you again to terry schooler thank you for listening and look out for the next episode of insights for manufacturing see you next time bye bye